The rest of us, uh, we're going to wrap up our current series that we're in. Uh, we've been in a series for this Christmas season called uh, What to Expect When You're Expecting, and talking about the expectations that people placed uh, in the Christmas story, how they were met, how they were not met. Uh, and so this morning, we're going to be in a few different places. I'm going to read from Isaiah 64 and Psalm 62, uh, but then we're also going to spend uh, a decent amount of time in the Christmas story, as well as the story of Jonah this morning. Uh, so let's first jump into our scripture reading this morning. Isaiah 64, uh, verses 3 through 5a is what I'm calling it. It's the first half of verse 5. Uh, and it says this. It says, For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. Uh, and then Psalm 62, verse 5, uh, says this. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Uh, although, I'll share with you as well that in the KJV, it says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Uh, so, we've been talking about expectations, right? It's been the Christmas season, and uh, really what we've been talking about mostly is unmet expectations, uh, that Mary and Joseph had expectations of what life would look like, and then God shows up, and all of a sudden it doesn't look anything like what they thought. We've talked about uh, the expectations in the Old Testament of what the, this coming Savior would do, and what he would look like, and, and how those expectations kind of built throughout the years into this almost like mythological, legendary thing. And then those expectations were not quite met. And, uh, and then we talked about the wise men. See, the Christmas story is full of people who got what they needed, but in unexpected ways. <laughs> they got what they needed, but not in the way they expected. And so I hope that over the last few weeks, I hope you've learned something new um, about God, about yourself. Maybe you, all you've learned is about space wizards. Uh, but over the last few weeks, we have learned something, all right? Uh, but as we were wrapping up this series, and, uh, and today especially, we're wrapping up a year today, uh, I feel like there's, there's an elephant in the room that's left, because I, I, uh, I'm a, a very inquisitive person. I'm like, I want to have answers, but I also I want to have answers that lead to actions, right? And so if all of these people... Uh, if all these people in the Christmas story had missed expectations, it leaves us with a big question to answer for those who want to seek the Lord fully, for those who don't want to miss what God is doing. It leaves us with a big question. How do we set our expectations, our hopes, for the Lord correctly? How do we expect things of God correctly so that we don't miss what he is doing? And even more importantly, so that we can be a part of what God wants to do. Right? If, if, our, if the expectations are the problem, because for a lot of us, expectations are our biggest weakness. <laughs> because we have expectations of how things go, and when those expectations aren't met, it's like we're so bummed out <laughs> that we can't even participate in whatever is happening. 
because what we expected was not what we got. Well, I want to help you answer that question this morning. How do we expect correctly? (laughs) How do we set expectations of God so that we don't miss what God is doing? So we're going to look at the Christmas story, but we're also going to look at the story of Jonah this morning. Uh, Because I think the Jonah story teaches us a lot about what we can expect from God. And uh, this morning I've got specifically three things uh, that we can expect from God, and all of them are demonstrated in the story of Jonah. So, if you're new to the faith, Jonah is a short little book in the Old Testament, and uh, we're going to recap that story as we go along. Uh, But we're going to talk about Jonah the prophet. And so, so, so we're going to jump into Jonah, but what... What should we expect to see from God in our lives? How do we, what, what are three things we can set our expectations upon and know that those expectations will be met? <laughs> right? That no matter how God works, these things will happen. I, there are probably more than three, but there are three that stand out to me in Scripture. The first is this. We should expect God to work in bigger ways than we expect. <laughs> All right? We should expect God to work in bigger ways than we expect. Now, this one's pretty simple, right? Our expectations of God, our normal, everyday expectations of how God works are too small. Right? They're too small. In Isaiah 64, our scripture we read this morning, it says, When you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Right? The mountains, a mountain, okay? Think about this. A mountain trembled before him. Now look, we trembling is, is easy for us to imagine, right? Because we know what it means to tremble, right? Like we, we can tremble. But to imagine a mountain trembling, right? It's like imagining an earthquake is happening next to the mountain. See, he says when, when God came in ways that we didn't expect, he came down in such big ways, in the Christmas story, God's people, if you remember, they're expecting a savior who would overthrow Rome and put them back into power in this world. It was too small. Their expectation of what God wanted to do in the world was too small. Right? Because instead, in the life of Jesus, what we see happen instead is that the Lord overthrows Satan himself. He renders death defeated and brings life to anybody who would follow in his way. The entire world, the entire world is now blessed and free and eternal life is included. That's so much bigger than just, we don't want Rome to be in charge, right? Their expectation, their hopes of God were so small compared to what God wanted to do. So small. This was way bigger than just a slice of the world or one people group, right? It was global. It was across all of time and space and barriers. What God wanted to do was beyond what they expected. And I believe that the same is true for most of us. Our expectations of God are often too small, right? In many churches in in the world, and especially Uh, especially in the U.S. and a lot of our churches, the expectation, the hope of most churches is simply to survive. And a lot of churches go into what, what I would call survival mode. We make decisions that help us keep the doors open and that's it. 
And yet, God, in, in, in the New Testament, all, everything that Jesus speaks of about the church, and when Paul writes about the church, it's not a surviving that he wants, it's a thriving. He wants a church that's active and healthy and moving. It's bigger than what, than what we ask for. In Jonah's story, Jonah uh, is a prophet, and he, uh, he hears from God, and God tells him, uh, go to Nineveh and preach against it. Essentially, he says, go to Nineveh, tell them how awful they've been, and that they're going to be destroyed because of their awfulness. All right? So, so imagine that, Nineveh, an entire city, okay? And a whole city. So God tells Jonah, not just, I want you to go to this person on the street. I want you to go to this entire city and preach against the city, right? That's bigger. That's bigger, right? Now, consider this for a moment. Here's, here's my equivalent, because Nineveh is, is about slightly bigger than South Bend, all right, people-wise. So imagine for a moment uh, that I get up this morning and I tell you, all right, guys, South Bend is getting a little unruly. I need you to go to the streets in South Bend and tell them that disaster will strike if they don't turn around. Now, most of you, most of you would think I'm nuts, <laughs> all right? Most of you would shudder a little bit. I know this because a lot of you shudder when I tell you to share the gospel with your family and your friends, and that's like three people, <laughs> right? And I'm like, hey, go to South Bend and tell them all, you evildoers, how dare you, right? This is a big, big thing, right? God has much bigger plans than we often give him credit for. We have such a, a limited view when we think of our expectations of what God wants to do. And our small expectations are most evident, I think, in the way that we pray. I was reminded this week of a, of a story um, from a friend of mine. He was a missionary uh, doing work in another country, and, and he met a man who had witnessed multiple people be raised from the dead. All right, and, and if you didn't know this, this happens frequently uh, uh, in, in Africa and South America and Russia and all these places where the church believes in big, big God things. They see people raised from the dead. All right? And so, so this missionary uh, meets this guy. He's seen multiple people raised from the dead. And this missionary says, surely that cannot be true. <laughs> right? I'm sure that God can do that, but I've never seen it happen. And so the man asked him, how many dead people have you prayed for? <laughs> He's, well, none. <laughs> well, how can you expect to see it if you don't ask for it? <laughs> Oof. <laughs> right? He hadn't seen the things of God. He didn't see the big things of God because he never expected it. He never asked for it. Right? Now, obviously, this is a big, big story to make, to make the point, but it makes the point. We pray small because we expect small. Right? This guy didn't pray for dead people to be raised because he didn't expect them to be raised anyway. Right? We often do things, uh, we, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophetic thing that we do. We pray small enough so that when God comes through in that small way, we can go, well, it happened. Right? Because we're too afraid to pray big. Because what if God doesn't do what we asked? <laughs> because for most of us, we don't have an answer to that. Right? If somebody says, well, you prayed for that person and they didn't get better, why was that? I don't know. <laughs> so we don't bother. We should expect God to work in ways that are beyond our own expectations. <laughs> to work in ways that are bigger than what we can even imagine. 
And, and so it's, it's kind of a fun, funny first point because basically what I'm saying is you should expect that your expectations are going to be blown away. <laughs> you should expect that God's going to work in ways that, that are beyond what you thought. <laughs> right? When, when the first time that I went to Africa 10 years ago, uh, I didn't expect to still be going to Africa 10 years later. <laughs> I certainly didn't expect to, to add Pakistan into that mix. Right? God has way bigger plans for what you thought, right? And the same is true. Everything I look at in my life, it's like, man, God's thoughts, God's plans were way bigger than I had ever thought they would be. When I'm making plans, they're not nearly the scale that God makes them. So we should expect for God to work in ways beyond our expectations. The second one is this. Here's the second thing we can expect of God. We should expect God to work in ways that pour out grace in abundance. We should expect God to work in ways that pour out grace in abundance. You know, the Christmas story at its core is a story of grace. Right? Emmanuel, God with us. God who would give up his place, as it says in Philippians, to bring grace to you and me. To open the way toward life for anybody who wants it. Right? This, this little child's life that we, that we celebrate at Christmas, it would define grace for all of us. Because Jesus demonstrates it with every page of the Gospels. Every step he takes is a step in grace and a lesson for you and I on what grace looks like. In our Jonah story, grace is a main theme. Jonah is told to go to Nineveh. All right, that's how far we've gotten so far. Uh, he wants, God says, go and preach against Nineveh. Jonah immediately runs away. <laughs> now, uh, that's kind of an odd thing for a prophet to do. All right? If you read any of the other prophets, it's almost like God says, well, go tell him this. And the prophet went, awesome. So he turns, here's what God says. Right? It was easy. It was God told me, so here's what I tell you. But not for Jonah. Jonah runs away. All right? So God wrecks his plans by sending a storm to deter the ship that he has boarded. Uh, where he's then tossed overboard, he's swallowed by a fish, all right, by a giant fish. Uh, let's be honest, God could have just ended it here, right? He'd be like, fine, you want to be disobedient, go get eaten by a fish, I'll find somebody else. Instead, God has grace upon Jonah. God's grace towards Jonah wins out, and he lets him stew for a couple of days in this giant fish before Jonah finally says, fine, I'll go. Right, so Jonah gets a timeout. All right? Jonah is corrected with a timeout. You guys know discipline <laughs> Discipline is grace-filled when done correctly. Because you're saving your kid from doing or saying something they'll regret and hopefully teaching them to be more obedient and holy person. <laughs> right? Discipline done correctly is supposed to be grace-filled. <laughs> so Jonah gets disciplined. He's got to go sit in timeout fish spits him out. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches so effectively that the king himself, the king himself, hears the message. <laughs> and the king is so convicted that he immediately has the entire city repent. Right? Now remember, city the size of South Bend. You, you imagine the mayor of South Bend getting up and saying, we've got it all wrong, guys. I need all of you to repent. <laughs> so the whole city, the whole city turns around. And it says in chapter 3 that God saw this and did not send the destruction upon them. Grace. 
And the funniest part about all this is this. Jonah is ticked. He's, here's what he says to, to God in chapter 4. He says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Okay, so now Jonah's running away makes more sense. Because Jonah's expectation of God was that he was gracious and compassionate. Jonah knew enough about God to know that if God is going to respond to a people, it's going to be gracious. And he hated it. He says those people aren't going to get what they deserve. Well, how did he know that? God didn't tell him that, right? God told him, go and preach against them. All that Jonah knew from what God told him was, God intends to destroy this city. But Jonah knew enough about how God works that he expected grace and compassion. His experience of God was one of grace and compassion. Maybe, maybe it was that, that fish spitting him back out instead of just swallowing him that, that taught him the grace, grace and compassion of God. But Jonah expected God's grace to win out, and so he ran away, right? His thought was, if I don't preach, they can't get his grace, and they don't deserve it anyway. Now, we might think that Jonah's response sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but we we often react the same way because we want what we think is just and fair. But we only get this limited view of the world in, in our lifetime. And what happens is we end up becoming the second brother in the prodigal son story. Uh, you guys remember this? The prodigal son, he runs away, he squanders everything. He comes back and his father's thrilled. He's just immediately full of grace and compassion, just as the, the Lord in our Jonah passage and the second brother is livid. He cannot believe that his family would just take this guy back so easily and so quickly. He can't believe that his father would welcome home his brother after he ran away and squandered everything he had. He doesn't realize that his father's priority is that his brother is alive, not that his brother made bad decisions. <laughs> Here's, here's my argument for you this morning. We don't have enough years in our lives to offer anything other than grace to somebody else. We don't get the big picture view like God does. We're given what we're given, and that's it. And so we should expect that God will pour out grace in abundance. So, we're going to expect that God is going to work in bigger ways than we expected. We're going to expect that God's going to pour out grace in abundance. But the third thing is this. We should always expect that God will work toward life. God is going to work toward life. The story of Christmas is a story of grace, but it's also a story of life. Right? In, in a physical way, right, we have a new baby being born. <laughs> And then that same child is spared by the warning of his parents about Herod, who wants to kill him. Life is a priority in this story. And when Jesus, when he's all grown up, he says to his disciples, I've come that they may have life and life to the full. It's why our, our mission here is to help all of you experience the abundant life that comes from Jesus. Because that was his goal. 
His goal was to pour out life. His disciples even recognized this at another point. Jesus, Jesus has been preaching, and uh, people don't really like what he's saying. <laughs> and so a bunch of people abandon him. They leave. And he turns to his disciples, and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter gets brave, and he says one of the greatest things he says in the Gospels. He says this. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. <laughs> he says, where are we going to go that we can get the life that you offer? <laughs> Jesus' priority was to bring abundant life to anybody who wanted it. In our Jonah adventure, Jonah tells us uh, that, God, uh, that God has grace upon Nineveh. And so uh, Jonah gets ticked off. He's arguing with God. And so, and so Jonah tells us that uh, he tells God to take his life. <laughs> he's, he's a little dramatic, if we're being honest. Uh, he's so mad that, that God would spare Nineveh that he wants God to just kill him now. Just kill me now. I can't see, stand to see these people having grace from God. So instead, God has grace on Jonah by teaching him a little lesson. So what he does is he grows up this big plant that provides shade for Jonah from the sun and for the heat uh, for that day. And then overnight, God sends a worm that eats the plant. And then he sends a harsh wind and a blazing sun to beat down on Jonah the next day, who is now without the shade that God provided in the first place yesterday. And once again, Jonah is so mad, he tells God to just kill me. He's so angry he could die. Here's God's response to Jonah. It says, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? See, so God looks at Jonah and he says, Look, you don't even know anything about that plant, <laughs> right? I created it yesterday, and I took it away, but you don't know anything about it. You didn't create it. You didn't tend it, and yet you are so mad that it's gone. You have this strong opinion. <laughs> you don't even know anything about it, and that's just a plant. He says, this city of Nineveh has over 120,000 people and all of their animals in it, right? Why, why, does, why is he saying that? Do you see that God's priority in Nineveh, right? He says, Jonah, how can you wish for them all to be destroyed? Because God's priority was life. I think it's interesting that he even mentions the animals, right? Because a lot of times when we talk about having life, we really think about like humans, right? Humanity is kind of God's crowning jewel of creation. And, but he even mentions the animals here. He says, look at how much life would be lost if I destroyed Nineveh. Because God is seeking to pour out life. Life. Right? Why does God lay out for us all these guidelines in, the, in Scripture that we call the law? Right? Is it to make our lives punitive and boring? No. That's how we feel about it sometimes. But the rules that we follow, they're God's way of saying, look, there are things that lead to life and there are things that lead you away from life. Follow the things and they will lead you to life. Jesus later tells people who follow him that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? God's whole point throughout Scripture is to lead us 
to life. Why does Jesus come healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons? Well, because sickness and demons and death are not filled with life. I mean, let's be honest, those are the opposite things of life. Now, tomorrow, tomorrow is the first day of a new year, uh, which likely means that a lot of you uh, are setting some new goals that all start tomorrow, right? And, uh, and you know, we always make this joke that, you know, we're going to set those goals. I remember when, uh, uh, when Aaron and I, we were members of the YMCA for a while and uh, loved it. We loved our local Y. And, uh, but inevitably, every January, man, you could not get on an exercise machine for about six weeks because there were so many people in the gym. And it was, it was always kind of this joke, uh, as people who were members throughout the, throughout the rest of the year, it was always kind of this joke, ah, I can't wait till February, <laughs> right? Because most of those people are going to give up and they're not going to be here in February. <laughs> and then I can get back to my exercise again, right? And, and looking back now, I kind of feel bad for feeling that way because I should have been rooting for those people. Because <laughs> God certainly doesn't root against us. <laughs> I should have been rooting for them. But we're all going to set these goals, these, and let's be honest, usually these lofty goals, right? We set these big goals. This is my year. We're going to set expectations for ourselves, for our family, for our career, right? And we should. It is good, a good and healthy thing to have goals. In fact, Scripture says that without vision, people perish. <laughs> but let me offer up, let me offer up some things that we should set our eyes upon for God this year. You ever thought about that? We make goals for ourselves. We make expectations of what we want to see and what our family wants to see and what our careers want to happen. But how often do our goals, how often are our goals to, I want to see God do this. <laughs> I want to see God do this this year. So what if, what if we set our goals around the three things this morning that we talked about that we should expect of God? What if we made one of our goals to see God work in ways that are bigger than we thought? <laughs> What if we made it a goal this year to see God's grace in abundance? And then a third goal, to see God bring life to things that we've given up on. What if we, what if we set our expectations, set our eyes on the right place this year? Because you guys know, God is doing these things anyway, right? He's already pouring out his grace. He's already bringing life to things. He's already working in ways that are bigger than we expected. The, the disconnect is we're not looking. We're not looking. So what if this year we expect of the Lord correctly so that we don't miss a single thing that he's doing in our lives? Because grace and life can only come from him, right? If you see grace and life around you, there's only one source. So look, look this year, open your eyes and your ears, right? Our scripture from Isaiah 64, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So expect, expect to see God this year. Look for God this year. Write things down, right? I, I tell you what, I, I am not much of a journaler, but if, 
if, if there were ever anything that you should write down, when you have these moments where you go, whoa, I see God at work in that. <laughs> I see grace there. I see life there. This happened way bigger than I thought it was going to. Write it down. So that a year from today, when you're at December 31st of 2024, you can open up that book and go, I saw. <laughs> I met my goal this year. I, my goal was to look and to see the Lord, and I saw. <laughs> Because it's so easy to forget. That's why scripture tells us over and over and over again, remember, remember, remember. Because we are forgetful creatures. So expect to see God work in bigger ways. Expect to see God's grace in abundance. And expect to see God bring life to things that we have given up on. If you look for those three things this year, you will not miss God. <laughs> I can guarantee it. Let me pray. Lord, we are thankful and grateful that you work in our lives. Because we like to think that our lives, that we're, that we're better off than these, than these Ninevites that Jonah was so frustrated with. But God, at the end of the day, that's who we are in this story. We're the people of Nineveh who need to know that there is a gracious and compassionate God. That when we look to him, there is grace and compassion and life abundant. So Lord, we set our eyes upon you in this coming year. We want to see you in bigger ways. We want to see more grace. We want to see more life. And we're going to look for you, God. We're committing this morning to look for you this year, to see you in the places where you're working so that we don't miss it. So open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see you more and more in this coming year. We're ready to meet you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us for the final song?